0: Proverbs chapter twenty verse eleven. You don't need to turn there, but you're welcome to do that. We're going to be in Genesis chapter eight, but in Proverbs chapter twenty and verse eleven, we read, "Even a child makes himself known by his acts, by whether his conduct is pure and upright." You don't have to listen to the words, my friend. Pay attention to the actions. Jesus said essentially the same thing in Matthew 7, 15, and 16, where he said, Beware of false prophets. And how will we know whether or not what they say is true? You might ask. Jesus says, You will recognize them by their fruits. Now, this is not a new trick for us, my friends. Certainly, you and I have known most of our lives kind of person they are, watch them. Watch them. Their actions don't lie. Their actions don't lie. But did you know the very same thing is true about God? You want to know about God? As you read this word, this revelation from God, watch carefully what God does. And my friends, you will grow in your understanding of who he is and how you ought to respond to him. And here we find ourselves at the end of the Noah account, the great flood as it is called often, the deluge. And we have seen God at work. The first few chapters, we saw his creation His goodness, everything ended with this is good. Not on the scale of good, better, best, my friend. But it is right. And it is excellent. Moral excellence, my friends, in all of God's creation. And we watched man ruin it. As man often does. And we see how God reacts. For God is a holy God. Do you know what that means? He is morally excellent. There are no shadows with God. There is no sin in God. There is no deception in God. God is truth. And he is good. But he is holy. And God is also just. Adam and Eve sinned, and they were cast from the garden. There was no trial, there was no trial necessary, my friends. For God knew their hearts, he knew their action. Sure, you say, Well, didn't he ask Adam? What have you where are you and what have you been doing? <laughs> you well, know, he knew exactly. Time to fess up. And they ate. They rebelled against God. And judgment was swift. Hmm. So here we are, my friends. We find ourselves in Genesis chapter 8. And we continue the work of a detective. And we watch what God does. And how God does it. And we learn more about who he is. In verse 1 of chapter 8... We find an unusual phrase here, something perhaps we wouldn't expect. It says in verse 1, but God remembered Noah. Now, in the previous chapter, you remember all of the waters from below the earth, and this canopy of water above came crashing down and drowned all humanity, save Noah and his family. Why? every thought and intent of their heart was only evil continually. Somewhere in your understanding of God, you need to understand that God is not only a God of love. He most certainly is. But he is a God of justice. He will punish sin. The soul that sins is going to die, my friend gonna die and so this God of love who is also a God of justice drowned the whole world let's keep that in mind in our soft rosy picture of God he is a God of love and compassion and he cares about his people but he is a holy God and he will not tolerate sin. And so, this, again, this phrase, God remembered. You see, God is about to cause the waters to recede. There is Noah and his family and all of these animals on the ark, and their rain has stopped. And it's time to go back and move on. And God remembered Noah. Now, what 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 do you mean, God remembered Noah? Believe me here, friends, God does not forget things. Oh, right, yes, you were in a difficult spot. I had forgotten. God does not forget. This word remembered doesn't mean merely to recall something to mind, because God can't forget anything. God knows the end from the beginning. Rather, what it means is to pay attention to something, To fulfill a promise and act on behalf of someone. And so when we read that God remembered Noah, we know that God is about to act on his behalf. And so God remembered Noah and all of the beasts and all of the livestock that were with him in the ark. And you will notice here at the end of verse 1, God made the wind blow over the earth, and the wind, the waters subsided. And the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed, and the rain from the heaven was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. And at the end of 150 days, the waters had abated, And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountain of Ararat. I would recommend you make a little note to yourself and go Google that and see what has been discovered on this mountain. The remains of fish and the world they get up there. You know, pretty good jumpers, huh? Yeah. Interesting, interesting things, my friends. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th of the month. In the 10th of the month on the very first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. And so we find that this is a, a period of time in which all of this water goes back to where it came from. And you will notice that Noah is doing some research on the conditions It's a famous account, friends. We know how it goes. And at the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven, and it went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. And then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground, but the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to the ark. For the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. And so he put, it on his, put out his hand and took her in and brought her into the ark with him. And he waited for another seven days. And again, he sent forth a dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening. And behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. You know what that is, my friends? that's hope now God had put them on the ark to preserve their life not to take it but we know my friends sometimes the waiting can be hard and so there is Noah and he now has this hope confirmed well then he waited another week my friends another seven days and sent forth a dove and the dove never returned you know why? didn't need to in verse 13 in the six hundred and first and first year in the first month the first day of the month the waters were dried from off the earth and noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and behold the face of the ground was dry and in the second month on the 27th day of the month the earth had dried out It's time to get off the ark, my friends. And God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you, and bring out everything that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth, Some very important instruction that Noah is going to be instructed to do, and that is to multiply, be fruitful and multiply. And then look at what verse 18 tells us, what Noah did in light of what God had said. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wives, and his sons' wives with him, and every beast and every creeping thing and every bird and everything that moves on the earth went out. families from the ark. There is a pattern in Noah's life. God said it and Noah did it. It's a very, very important uh, principle there, my friend. Practice and pattern for us. God said it and we ought to do it. Follow his instruction. And what you will see here, my friends, is that Noah I mean, can you even, we could not possibly comprehend Noah's experience here. So sure, we're familiar with the story. Who hasn't heard of Noah in the ark, right? But consider everyone that he has ever known is dead. He watched as this, this enormous deluge came over the earth and killed everyone. And there is no one on the planet save his immediate family here and his son's wives. How does one take that in? Well, we get the opportunity to see how Noah responds here in verse 20. we see, God had caused the waters to recede. God had saved Noah's life. I mean, here it is, November, when we see the good hand of God work in our benefit, providing for us, working in our life, though it may be hard. What's the response? Hopefully in November there's a clue there, my friends. Look at verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered a burnt offering on this altar. And it is refreshing to see that Noah's worship, he's worshiping the Lord instead of the ark. Oh, behold the great ark that has saved us. He wasn't fooled, my friends. It wasn't the ark that preserved him. It was the Lord. And history is filled with people building idols to the means of God's provision. Look at how God has provided for us. Or let us make an idol out of this building or an idol out of this land. Or, and We will visit it and we will worship on it and we will look at it as though it is God. It is a shame. Even today, my friends, I see on Facebook posts like this who say, Who believes in the power of prayer? Anybody here believe in the power of prayer? Yeah, I'll tell you what, I don't. I believe in the power of my God. But my prayer is simply my words. There's no power in that. There is only power in the response of God. We don't honor prayer, we honor God. And God honors prayer. God has commanded us to prayer. Friends, there's there's no power in us that isn't given to us from God. The power is his, my friend. Do we pray? I'll tell you what, friends. You ought to be. Talked to you a while ago about setting that alarm every day. Carving out time in your life every day to talk to God about your life, the people in your life, the people around you, people you need to reach, people you are interceding for. Friends, if you're not praying, something's wrong with your life. I'll tell you what, you're not living a Christian life if you are not every day talking to God. God. I'm not talking about lunchtime and breakfast, and I'm talking about you and God. Take the time, my friends. Prayer is not some kind of incantation that forces God to do our bidding. It's a request of faith that trusts in the grace of God. The power of God and the wisdom of God to act for the, person, the, the benefit of his children, my friends. When we pray, we say, God, we want your will. God, these things are going on from my perspective. I should really like if you should do this. But God, we want your will to be done. Because you know more about the circumstances than any of us do power is in God, my friend. And we ought to worship that. Him. So here is Noah, offering a sacrifice to the Lord. And look at how the Lord responds to him. This is not to be missed, my friends. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart... I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. And he not only receives his worship and not only makes promises in response to his worship, the Lord rewards his faith. See, Noah is a man of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, my friends, is the faith chapter. You want to learn something about faith? Read through these accounts, who these men are, little summaries of their life. Then go back and read the full story. And say, hey, is this the way I'm living? Because God honors faith. And he he rewards Noah's faith with provision, the provision of God's blessing. Look at here in verse 1 of chapter 9. And God blessed Noah. You know what that word blessing is? It's not something you say after people sneeze. (laughs) What does that mean? Good job? Hey, turn your head? I mean, what does that mean, you know? I'll tell you what it means. God's favor and God's enablement. I say, God bless you. I'm looking. I'm asking that God will bless you, enable you, and favor you. And look at what He does. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth." Now, hear me when I say this: When God commands, God enables. God never commands anything to you that he will not enable you to do and so you read the word of God and you see that God is calling you to do a particular thing and you say I don't know if I can do that well the fact of the matter is this when you obey God will enable because God works all things together for good right people, right time right circumstances and God working through us, my friends. And so this provision of blessing, fruitfulness, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then he added this. and well, What a thoughtful thing. The Lord says, The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and every kind of bird of the heavens and every... And upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish in the sea, into your hand they are delivered. Skittish animals, they will fear you. Now, they respond in fear. That changes over time. But I give everything to you. You shall not eat flesh with its life and that is i'm sorry let's, let's let's look at this very carefully you see what he's saying is it is now open and available to you up until this time perhaps uh, they were vegetarians but after the flood here you will notice verse 3 everything every moving thing that lives shall be food for you and as i have given you green plants i give you everything all of it, to be enjoyed, received with gratitude, my friends, only with one little restriction. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. In other words, cook it. None of this super rare stuff, my friends. I put it under my arm for five minutes, should be warm enough. Nothing with the blood. And that's very, very, very important principle throughout the scriptures. The blood. Life is in the blood. And you're not going to eat it that way. And so fruitfulness, the fear of man, and food. Here is God's blessing. But it doesn't even stop there. After looking at God's provision, we see his protection Look at verse five. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast, I will require it, and from every man. From his fellow man, I will require a a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds blood of man, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his his blood be shed. Talking about the death penalty here, my friends. You take a life, you lose your life. And what what is this telling us about God? God loves death? No, God holds life in high esteem. This is the penalty to take one's life. It will be to lay down your own. You murder someone, you shall be killed. And then we see the reason here. Whoever sheds the blood of man by men shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you shall be fruitful and multiply and increase greatly on the earth. And multiply. You see, murder goes contrary to the will of God. The will of God is to multiply and be fruitful. Someone that takes the life of a man goes against the very nature of God, and certainly against the commands of God. We know that the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder, and God lays it out. Well, my friends, we see the death penalty is part of the protection of life. And then God makes a covenant with humanity. This uh, is commonly known as the Noahic Covenant. And it's a very important covenant in the Bible. Note the uh, participants of this covenant. That God said to Noah and to his sons with them, Behold, I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and every living creature. That is with you. The birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. And so they are the participants of the covenant. Now what about the particulars? Well, the first aspect is no more universal floods. Verse 11, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. That's it, one time, never again. And then God tells us the sign of the covenant. A little reminder for all of us. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And when I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant. Now we learn a couple of things about covenants. What was Noah's part in this covenant? There are different kinds of covenants in the Bible. In this particular case, we see that this is is an unconditional covenant. There are no conditions to this. No ifs, ands, or buts. God says, this is what I will do. This is how I will act. No ifs, no conditional clauses, my friends. God has made a covenant. And so he has set the rainbow in the sky as a reminder to us. And yet it still abides today, my friends, as a reminder to him and a reminder to us that God has made a promise, a covenant, my friends. So when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it, and I will remember this everlasting covenant, verse 16 between God and every living creature of all the flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Now at this juncture, we are certainly convinced that there shall never be... No, oh, how God, the God who is holy, the God who is just feels about sin, right? I mean, surely we would not dare to think that there is some unknown sin to God, that we can keep it from Him, that we can continue on, and there should be no repercussion. Silly. Well, my friends, what we see here in verse 18, this is sad to read. Sin here continues. We see Noah's failure. The sons of Noah who went went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now Ham was the father of Canaan. Very important to know these things. These three were the sons of Noah. And from these people, from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Dispersed. Noah began to be a, a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard and he drank of the wine and became drunk. And he lay uncovered in his tent. It's a shameful act by this man. Now some have tried to defend him, my friends, by saying perhaps before the flood uh, these, the, the, the juice didn't ferment And so this was just a a terrible accident. Well, it sure doesn't come across this way to the Lord. And notice here, my friends. And Ham, the father of Canaan. And you can't hear the name Canaan without thinking of the Canaanites. The enemies of God. And the enemies of God's people. Hmm. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. This seems an absolutely absurd moment that here is this man of faith who is drunk and naked. And his son comes in and says, guys, come on in. You've got to see this one. As you will notice in verse 33, then Ham, I'm sorry, verse 23, then Ham, Shem, and Japheth took a garment and laid it both on their shoulders and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. And so here are two sons who do the right thing. Let us not make sport of a man who has sinned and shamed himself. Let us do what we can to cover it. And here in verse 24, we've seen Noah's failure, now his foretelling. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. And he also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. And after the flood, Noah lived 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years. And he died. Death rules, my friends. Death rules. Sin always results in shame, my friends. It is a fool's errand to think that you can get away with anything. To know that God is a holy God to know that one day you will stand before him and give an account for every thought, for every action. Hear me when I say this. You will know God by his actions, just as he will know you by yours. They are statements that people have developed over the years. That we are to love the sinner but hate the sin. Apparently God does not take that tack. You see what God does is love the sinner and change them. So they don't continue to sin. And he does whatever it takes to get them there. To grow them up enough to understand. We live to honor him not selfishly imbibing on the things of this world. God proves himself a God of grace. Don't take his grace for granted, my friends. God's grace is his provision for us, giving us that which we do not deserve. The story of Noah is a story of grace. Grace. And Noah proves it for us. Did he deserve to be saved from this flood? The answer is no. For he was a sinner like the rest. There was sin in his life and it was evident even after the flood. God proves himself a God of grace. And God proves himself a God of justice. God is just. This world is hard to find justice. As the last time you brought about justice in this world. Fought and stood for justice. What is right. And God proves himself to be a God who rules over all. Nothing escapes him. Take note carefully, my friends, and then live in light of it. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven. What an account. Certainly not a child's tale. And think about all the animals and what happened to these guys and where did they live. We know, God, that you have recorded and preserved this account in history. That we would know what kind of God you are a God of grace that saves. And a God of justice who will mete out the perfect punishment. And the wages of sin is death. Father, it is my prayer that this account will disturb us in the days to come. And that it will shake us off our tracks. Move us off our patterns that we would live carefully in a way that honors you. That you would be glorified, that your people would be light and salt in a world of darkness. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.